Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone, welcome to Series 2, Episode 10 of the Teachers Podcast. This is my last episode of 2020. What a year it has been. I'll be back on the first Tuesday of 2021 with a new episode and hoping for a much better year ahead. So just before I tell you about this week's guest, I wanted to tell you that Classroom Secrets Kids has hundreds of free online Christmas activities and games until the new year. It's a wonderful way to try out the site with your children. You could literally fill up a whole week with real Christmas-themed learning that they will love. Just go to kids.classroomsecrets.co.uk forward slash Christmas 2020. There are resources for EYFSTA 6 covering a range of subjects. You don't even need to log in to play, so start sharing the Christmas cheer far and wide, especially with isolating children. Now, in this episode, I talk to Andrew Whitehouse, special educational needs consultant, TEDx speaker, and soon-to-be author. We chatted mainly about ADHD. So Andrew was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult, and he describes himself as a consultant who was approaching it from the wrong perspective before that. He knew he was different, and instead of embracing that and using it as a strength, he suppressed it and just tried to fit in. And that was the most important thing he was bringing into his work, though. Sometimes experience is the most valuable asset we can bring to a situation. During our chat, we talk about neurodiversity. And if you're wondering what that is, then so did I, and I asked Andrew during the interview. So stay tuned for the answer. We don't know what we don't know, and usually we don't know a lot. It was interesting to me how Andrew connected the word neurodiversity to the words neurological and disorder. There are a lot of connotations that are conjured up in our minds as a result. If you haven't done so yet, subscribe or follow the Teachers Podcast on your preferred listening platform so that you can keep up to date with new episode releases. I'm also on Twitter as at Claire underscore Riley underscore TP. So I look forward to connecting with you on there. Let's get to my chat with Andrew. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I've been really looking forward to it. Thank you for having me on. So I feel um, a little bit inferior today because you've done a TEDx talk, you do lots of speaking events. And um, so I'm really interested to find out all of your um, knowledge. Um, Let's get that out of you and um, out into the world, even though you've done that lots of times before. so do you want to just tell us everything that's important to know about Andrew from when you were born to now? Okay, yeah, gosh, well, goodness me. Um, so it's funny you should ask that, Claire. This is not a blatant book plug, but I've written all this down in the last couple of months. And um, <clears throat> Andrew Whitehouse was uh, born in Cheltenham in 1966 and was always treated as being a bit odd a bit eccentric people would all through my life people would say things like oh you dress funny and I thought well do I dress funny I thought I only go to the same shops as you 
or, you know, oh, you make me laugh or you're so funny or you're outrageous. You say these things. And I thought, well, this, this is kind of, I, I, you know, I don't know why I'm only, and it, it kind of made me feel very inferior. Um, so I, I had this outward confidence, but I had this kind of inside, I felt very inferior and I just wanted to be like the other people. And um, constantly, constantly through my, uh, my life, I'm 54 now, I just kind of was, you know, that was my goal to just be like everybody else, which turned out to be the wrong thing to do. It turned out to be completely the wrong thing to do because um, obviously I, 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 I had a, a short career before going into teaching and then I went into, then I went into teaching and I didn't stay in teaching terribly long because I was totally drawn towards the inclusion training and consultancy type of thing. Inclusion was my thing, but I was approaching inclusion from absolutely the wrong perspective. Because what I was trying to do was be like every consultant, every trainer, all the people I'd ever met, so that I could fit into that little gang. But in actual fact, uh, it was the eccentricities that gave me the strength. And it was all about not what I could, you know, draw from trying to be different or different to how I really was, but more about what I could bring to the party. And I knew absolutely knew that I, there was something unusual going on with me, something strange. So a um, few years ago, I was at an, an ADHD um, conference and, um, and it was lovely because I actually wasn't uh, speaking, but I was just there. And I met a guy in a car park, an American fellow, and I asked him a really polite question. I just you know, so we all had to park here or something. And he started being really rude and making really sort of strange comments to try and make me bite. And I was getting a little bit angry, a little bit agitated. And I said, look, I, I, I don't know who you are, but, you know, I only asked you where we could park. And he threw his arms around me, gave me this massive hug. And he said, I knew you were one of our people. And I thought, what does that mean? Anyway, he went on to say, he said, you know, bit later in the day he said it's great to see a person with ADHD delivering ADHD training and ADHD consultancy and I said ho 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 buddy I don't have ADHD and he laughed and he said yes you do of course you do don't be stupid so um I sat on that for a little while and I went and got a late diagnosis in my early 50s so in my early 50s having been delivering training having been multiple masters level in all manner of special educational needs and masses of conferences and observations and big jobs like that, realizing that I had ADHD. And that scared me because I thought, how do I keep this a secret? Mm. Because people, people do not so much now, but people have had a very, a very um, kind of negative view of ADHD. In fact, um, more recently, I was—I mentioned at a conference that I'd got ADHD, and I watched a lady push her handbag under the chair. You know, so it's kind of because really, ADHD, yeah, really, absolutely. What did, you, what did you think you were going to do? I was going to nick her car keys and her cigarettes, probably in her snuff. Right. I don't know. I don't <laughs> know, but it was so obvious. It was so funny. But anyway, you know. Um, you know, it's a bit like locking your cars when a bunch of punk rockers are crossing the zebra crossing. It really was. So, you mm. know. So anyway, um, 
I thought, I don't like this, but I was making a big, big mistake because actually, like I said, it's what can you bring to the party? And what I'd inadvertently been bringing to the party for years and years and years. And so um, it started where a parent group in Scunthorpe booked me to do a talk. And they, and, and they were really funny. It was a parent support group for children with neurological diversities. And they said, you know, uh, can you come and do this talk? And I said, yeah, yeah. And for weeks, I was saying, what do you want me to talk about? What do you want me to say? And they're like, oh, well, we'll talk about it near the event. And it's getting real close. And then eventually she said, look, I've been really scared to ask you, Andrew, would you talk about your life as an adult with ADHD? Because the mums, and they said, she said mums, because these groups are predominantly female subscribed. Uh, but her words were the mums, really want to hear about people who have a success in their life, you know, with having ADHD. Yeah. So I did, and I turned up and I talked about all the things I've done and some of the things that were difficult and how ADHD is actually not a disability for me, but the driving force. And it's the thing that makes it work. I was lucky enough to do a talk with, oh my goodness me, What's the um, the funny impersonator? Oh, gosh. Really famous guy. Rory Bremner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I did a talk with Rory Bremner. Rory Bremner's diagnosed ADHD as well. Um, although, unlike me, he's not severe ADHD. I'm severe ADHD. I'm higher up in the ADHD rankings than Rory. But Rory did this most wonderful talk. And uh, he said, I want to hear from adults who are successful, not in spite of having ADHD, but because of having ADHD. And I thought, well, that's me. I can go with that, you know. And I suppose with ADHD, it's one of those things where you have to, for example, teaching didn't work out for me because I was in the same place every day, parking my car in the same spot, drinking out of the same coffee mug, you know. Don't yeah. sit there. That's Mrs. Smith's chair. She always sits there. She'll get ever so upset if you sit in her chair and drink from her mug, mm. you know, all that sort of thing. So, my job is I'm in a different place every day, doing different things, looking for new ideas. And it, 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 it absolutely is what makes me thrive. And I say to the parents and to the families and to the young people themselves, depending on you know, how open or old enough they are to take this in, you know, don't, you know, if, you, if you're going to work for Tesco, get a job in the warehouse where you're emptying the trucks and stacking things and solving problems and dealing with stuff. Don't sit on the till because it will kill you, mm. you know? because that's what teaching was like for me. Being out and about and solving problems and doing what I call the Sherlock Holmes stuff when I've got a child that's got difficulties. That's what I thrive on. Yeah, it's really amazing. Just writing so many notes about what you're saying. Um, I was just thinking about what you were saying there. And um, it's funny, isn't it? Because GPs, for example, general pr practitioners, uh, they've got a know lots of things but they don't really know anything in detail and I think we often say especially when a condition is um a little bit more I want to use the word bespoke but that's not right but it's um a specialist a little bit more specialist yeah that doctors don't know how we're feeling we we know our body more than the doctor would would know our body yeah and I suppose really this is why it positions you in such a unique position because what you're consulting on you experience internally but I didn't know that Claire I didn't know that I didn't know that until I was 52 something yeah but that doesn't mean to say that 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 wasn't 
helpful for you. No, absolutely. It was a lot more helpful when I did know though. Yeah, absolutely. And and obviously everyone's going to experience it differently, but you you're closer to you're closer to it than maybe some consultants who don't. I just find it really interesting because um on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I had Helen Cohen on. Mm-hmm. Um and she was talking about dyslexia. And as an adult, she was diagnosed with dyslexia. Um, and it's it's the same thing, really. She has experienced what some of the children that she's trying to help might have experienced. And I just think that's really powerful. Do you know, it, it is. And it, it, it's, um, it's interesting because what I do now, and actually... To be fair, after my conversation with this guy, who, by the way, was Kev Roberts, who's written one of the best books on ADHD, the guy that hugged me and tried to get me into a fight. His name is Kev Roberts. He's an American, and he's written a book called Schindler's Gift. And it is basically, he is arguing that Oscar Schindler, who saved 3,000 Jewish lives during the Second World War, was Mm -hmm. ADHD. And he thrived on the thrill of saving those lives. He, Mm. you know, uh, and that he, he, Given the banal before and after the war, he achieved nothing. He was a failure in everything that he did. But he was one of the, you know, for that six years, he was one of the greatest humanitarians in in history. And and I and I read about this guy. And what I thought was really sad about him was he would have never understood why he couldn't succeed again. Whereas mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if he'd had the knowledge that I have about having ADHD, there wasn't even an ADHD in 1940. You know, that didn't come around until the 70s. And so um, and so if he'd have had that knowledge, you know, he would have understood that. But as he was, you know, he 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 was a massive philanderer. He was a heavy drinker. He was all the things, you know, that you hear about people with ADHD using to mask those those negative emotions. But what you've got to do is you've got to recognise those negative emotions, channel them mm-hmm. into positive. Now, that's not me sloganeering, Claire. That's a reality. It's what you have to do. Mm. What you have to And he wouldn't have known that. And yet, what an amazing guy. Got to read the book, listeners. Got to read the book. Schindler's Gift, Kev Roberts. Yeah. What was it, um, what was it that Kev sort of saw in you when you met in the car park that made him think... No idea. You know, I can sniff them out. I sniff them out. I'll tell you what, it's, um, um, it's really funny because um, uh, another famous ADHD person is Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols. He was the guitarist and he was the guy that set the whole thing up. And if anyone remembers the, the Bill Grundy show, he was the one that did all the swearing and got them all into trouble. It wasn't Johnny Rotten at all. And, and um, But Steve Jones... Uh, he he he's ADHD, and he he uh, he said something. It was something totally unrelated, and he went, "I'll sniff you out." And actually, I can sniff him out. I can spot an ADHD person a mile away. I know. And sometimes, um, when I'm in schools, um, you know, you'll get a child that's just had a diagnosis, and I'll be working with them, and I'll say, you know, "Oh, um, welcome to the brotherhood or the sisterhood," you know, mm. because. Actually, it's not a negative thing, but there's something, and I can spot it in people. And um, and so, you know, oh, and there was a time in Hull. I was in a school in Hull, and it's never happened before. It was one of the whappiest things you've ever seen in your life, Claire. They, they did an assembly in this secondary school for all the kids with ADHD. So they brought okay. all the kids that couldn't sit still, couldn't pay attention, all <laughs> of them to this assembly. 
and um, uh, and, uh, and you know, and it was great to see. I mean, the teachers were sitting at the back, really didn't know what was going on. And um, <laughs> I didn't organise this. Someone else organised it. It was a brilliant idea. I would do it tomorrow in a heartbeat. And uh, there was the first person that arrived was a girl. She was a year seven girl and her arms and legs were going. She couldn't stand still. It was all in the, particularly in the legs, all leg movement. And she said, she said she came in. There was nobody else arrived. She was the first person. And she said to the special needs coordinator, I'm here, but I don't know why. And, um, and she said, and the, the Senko said to her, oh, it's because um, we're having an assembly for you and all the other children with ADHD. And she went really quiet and her face went white. And then she said, there were others. Oh. And the poor child had not known that there were other people with ADHD. And so, and she said, yes. She said, would you like to meet the person that's running the assembly? His name's Andrew and he has ADHD. So I shook her hand and she gazed at me. And I just thought, my goodness me, you know, this is just the most wonderful moving yeah. moment. It really, really is. And it, it's, I don't know what it is. There is just a way, there is something, there is something in ADHD, this vibe that we give off, you know, I have uh, a guy that I work with a lot, named Paul Hughes, and he does motive, aspirational work in schools, and um, he, I, you should get him on, in fact, he'd love Paul, he's great, um, but he, he and I will meet for breakfast, uh, non-COVID period, and we'll still be there after, after four o'clock, having coffee, yeah. cake and afternoon tea. And we will plan everything because ADHD people like to plan loads and loads of stuff, you know, but I, the first day I met him, I was just drawn to this guy and I just knew you're one of my people. You're one of yeah. my people. So that didn't really answer your question, did it? No, I'm just like, mm, so I, you know, I don't I know. know. I can't help you. I can't help you. Except that there's the obvious things, people who move about, people who can't pay attention, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. But there is this there is this kind of magical vibe comes off ADHD, I think. And it is certainly you were gonna ask me, so can I give one of your trade secrets away? What is a neurodiversity? Yeah, well I'm just about to ask you that next. So right, yeah. So I think it's important that, that we that we ask the question, what what even is it? So, well, it's not, I don't think it's really a thing. So it's a neurological disorder. So uh, you could say to me, I have a neurological disorder. Yeah. But I'm not disordered. Mm. Yeah, okay, I'm a bit messy and I'm not very organised, you know, but there's plenty of people without ADHD that are a bit messy and not very organised. Yeah. How can I... How can I be disordered? You know, I have four wonderful children. I've got a car and a house and, you know, and a mm -hmm. job that, you know, I made it through a triple dip recession, um, a, uh, a, a, a massive lockdown and just getting through a second lockdown. You know, I've diversified my business. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be neurologically disordered. I don't think so. You know, and then you look at people with autism who are supposed to be neurologically disordered. You know, some of the most incredible brains in the world historically yeah. are neurologically disordered or the the dyslexic people that go on to be you know some of the most incredible architects in the world are dyslexic and some of the most fantastic business people and it's you know I just don't like it it's not a neurological disorder you know I'm supposed to have a disability Claire 
you know. Mm. Well, my one of my dear friends, Joe, she she you know she's a wheelchair user, and I was having a conversation with her the other night, and I said, you know, when people call me someone with a disability, I feel like a fake. Yeah. You know, yeah. I have no disability. No, no, you know, and so the only time the disability comes in is when you try to be something you're not, which is what we started with, wasn't it? Mm. No, when you try, you know, um, Joe, Joe's never going to run a marathon, you know, uh, Joe might complete a marathon in her own way. Yeah. But Joe does incredible things and she has an incredible mind and she, you know, she does wonderful work for the disabled community. Uh, and, you know, uh, and it's the same here with me, you know, I'm never, ever, ever going to get that job working in Tesco and make it work. I would have fallen out by it with everybody by the end of the first week. Mm. I have done it. And so neurological diversity, I said, we're different. We're maybe not the same as you, but we're a massive, massive, crucial part of your community, our community, the neurotypical, uh, you know, uh, the people who don't have autism, ADHD, dyslexia. I mean, look at, um, look at Professor Stephen Hawkins, that poor man with his neurological disorder. Really? Mm. really? Come on. You know, and so um it, it's it's yeah so i use the term diversity neurodiversity which actually i developed that term because i didn't want to use disorder and disability when i did my tedx right yeah but i like it though yeah i like it yeah eccentric's a good word as well but <laughs> <laughs> i also like that word because yeah I've, I've been accused of that as well but i'm happy with that <laughs> oh yeah yeah i don't think you're one of my people but you're teetering on the parapet all right. Well, thanks. That's a compliment. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm taking it as one. Um, mm. So in your TEDx talk, you just mentioned that again. So I told you before that I watched it and um, we had a conversation about people laughing when when oh. they shouldn't laugh. So tell me about that. <laughs> this is a double-edged sword, really, Claire, because um, I think to deliver any kind of training and to, to face it, a TEDx, okay, it's a really posh workshop. That's what it is, really. And, you know, and, um, uh, and I put a lot of work into that. But it's, in fact, it's probably the hardest 20 minutes work I've ever done. And, um, but for when, you, when you're delivering any kind of training workshops, you need several things. You need to be absolutely qualified in what you can do. Because mm -hmm. you know? people check and they go, who is this person? Um, you need to be experienced enough to be able to get a really solid message across with your own background. I like telling stories, you know, and I say this happened in this school and I did this and it worked or it didn't work and, and what have you. So you need experience, you need qualification, you need nerves of steel because you don't know what you're walking into, you know, and sometimes I'll go into a place, not very often, but you go into a place, it might be a school and you're doing a twilight and it's a twilight where everyone's terrified of the head teacher and the head teacher's made them sit in on this training that they don't want and they're determined to give you a hard time. So you need that nerves of steel, yeah? Mm -hmm. Most of the time people, people go to anything wanting to have fun and enjoy it, but sometimes they don't. And so you have that going on. And then the final thing is you have to have charisma. You know, and I'm sure you've been to training and workshops and you're going, I'm dying. I'm just, you know, please, please, please. Somebody call me away, you know. <laughs> Especially when you've got all those other things on your mind. You've, you've really got to kind of 
shoot through all that extra mess that's going on in, yeah. in a teacher's brain, haven't you? Because they're, yeah. they're thinking about all the the different things that they haven't marked and all the assessments they've got to do and yeah. tomorrow's lesson. and Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so you have to cut through that with charisma and entertainment. And, and I think, and, you know, I know who, who I like to see deliver training and I would, you know, I would go to some workshops where my favourites, if they were talking about a teacup, I would go, you know, because they're really interesting people. But of course, to do that, you've got to make people smile and make people laugh, you know. And on a regular basis, people come up to me and they say, oh, you're so funny, you should be a comedian. But Claire, I've worked so hard to get the qualifications and the experience I've got to be a specialist <laughs> in your diversity that I just want to go, do you really, do you really think that's a compliment? You know, and actually, truth of it is, I'm an idiot because actually, yeah, it's a massive <laughs> compliment. It's a huge compliment because what that person it is a compliment. Yeah. Is you just delivered training in a way that I could engage with and smile and laugh and you know, and I'm going to go away and I'm going to recommend the training to other people, you know, and and so yeah, you know, it was. But the TED talk, people laughed at all sorts of places and. Um, I remember I said to you off screen, off recording, you know, um, they laughed when I walked on the stage and I thought I'd got my flies undone or something and I hadn't. But, you know, it was just so kind of, what are they laughing at? Well, that's great, you know. Hey, look, they paid a lot of money for those tickets. They want a good day out, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so it's better than being, God, that guy's so boring. No, I agree. I think if, if you've got humour... It makes a massive difference, and and people remember the experience as well, probably they because the the physically laughing. But neurodiversity is funny. It is funny, you know. I don't want to insult anyone. I find myself funny, you know. Um, um you know, I, I I I was in a conversation with a colleague, and somebody else came up and asked me a question, and. The colleague that I was in the original conversation with went to the other person, go away. I've got Andrew for 15 minutes maximum because I would just wander off. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's ADHD <laughs> for you. Or, you know, I mean, I did, um, I did a conference for the Lincolnshire Autistic Society a few years ago. And um, I was the last, I was the keynote and I think I was the last person on. And so I just spent the day just writing notes about what I was watching, what was happening, because 90% maybe of the people there were all autistic. Yeah, mm. these are my friends, and so uh, it's a Lincolnshire thing. So um, anyway, the catering had brought out bourbon biscuits with white filling. Think about that. So there's all these, uh, all the, yeah. So there's all the autistic people who really don't like change picking up these biscuits. Going, what are these? What's, what's going on here? This is funny. Yeah. Yeah? And anyone who tells you that people with autism don't have a sense of humour was the first thing I mentioned. First thing I mentioned when I did my talk, everybody was in hysterics going, yeah, well, they bought the wrong biscuits out, didn't they? You know. And mm. some years later, I did the Bamford Lecture for the British Academy of Audiology, which, uh, if you look it up, it's on YouTube. It's a good talk. It was about making audiology, autism-friendly audiology clinics. But you can change that to be autism-friendly swimming baths, schools, anything you want, cinemas, whatever you want. But anyway, yeah. it's on YouTube. Check it out. But... Um, was one of the things like the, the NHS were giving Kit Kats out with blue wrappers with it's where it says Kit Kat at NHS. And I picked a couple up and in the talk, I drew one out of a bag and held it up and I said, listen, about these NHS Kit Kats, my people won't like these. You yeah. know? 
And so, yeah, it, it kind of is funny. It's only not funny when it's causing people unhappiness. But yeah, it's, you know, I help out at an autism youth club on a Tuesday night in non-COVID times. And it's the funniest place. It's great, you know. I've got one guy there who, who, who loves Doctor Who. And he'll say, what's your favourite Doctor Who? And I'll say, well, I don't really watch Doctor Who. I have more recently, but um, I don't, you know, it's not my thing. I said, but I like the Daleks. Oh, yeah, what's your favourite Dalek episode? You know, he's totally washed over the fact that I'm trying to say, really, it's not my thing. He don't care. He's going to have a conversation with Doctor Who, and he doesn't care who, who's, who's going to have that conversation with, who he's going to... And, yeah, who won, him or me? He won, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I great. I love it. <laughs> um, so you've already <laughs> mentioned that you were diagnosed as an adult with ADHD. Yeah. What, how did that make you feel? Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. You know, I mean, I got four kids and holding your children for the first time is the, the most amazing, amazing thing. And, you know, all that, that's the big ones, isn't it? Graduating from university or, you know, and things like that. Um, it's one of those pivotal, incredible moments in your life or my life. And... I'm not a very emotional person, but I cried and cried because it just, everything from those last 52 years or 53 or whatever it was, just all of a sudden made sense. And it was just the most, it was just the most wonderful release, you know? And um, instead of feeling like a crazy person, I felt like a normal person, that, mm. you know, for the first time ever. Uh, and, and I wasn't a crazy person. I had this diversity. And my goodness, I was going to use it. Good. And I'm really glad that you do, because I think that, like I said before, it's so powerful. So obviously, you know, you don't just consult about ADHD, do you? No. You consult no. about a range of things. But let's go um, specifically to ADHD. If, you know, if there's teachers listening now. And they've got children in their classrooms with ADHD, and it's such a wide spectrum as well. What What's the most important thing that you want teachers to understand about their children with ADHD in their classrooms? Trust their eyes, trust their ears. Yeah, look at what you see and make something work. I've got a. Um, I say to people, my job is the easiest job in the world. It's so easy. I look at what people are doing and I say, we'll do more of what works and less of what doesn't. So, for example, if you have a child that can't concentrate for more than five or ten minutes, yeah, mm -hmm. don't try and teach them for more than five or ten minutes. Yeah. They're not being defiant. They're not being defiant. They can't do it. If you have a child that needs to play with something or wobble their feet, buy a wobble board or give them something to play with, yeah? And because that's what they need. And the key word is need. Um, uh, and so, um, but then if you have a child that if you give them something to fiddle with, they throw it at people, don't say, oh, we tried that, they throw it at people. Say, well, that's not the right thing to do. Mm. Let's give them something they're not going to throw. Let's get them French knitting or, do you know what I mean? It's kind of... More of what works, less of what doesn't. Um, it's 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 the big thing that people do wrong. Break up your learning. Look at your learning. I sit, your, your your attention span. Okay, so this is a complicated equation for someone like me. Is your age plus a minute up to the age of sixteen? 
So your maximum attention span under normal circumstances for any human being is 17 minutes. Mm. If you've got ADHD, you knock a third off that. So my attention span is 11 minutes. Okay. There are exceptions to that. So if you've got a seven-year-old or a 14-year-old child, let's say a 14-year-old child, nice, easy one, in a secondary school, 15-minute attention span, they've got ADHD, knock that down to 10 minutes. You can easily do 10 minute activities in that class for the whole class and everybody will be engaged yeah everybody so you can six activities in an hour so if you're doing a literacy task you might do a little bit of reading then you might have a discussion activity then 10 minutes of debate then you might have 10 minutes of editing and and it's easy 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 all the way down the line and and so i do teach a lot of that the best lessons i see in schools that include everybody not just the adhd people are the ones where they break it up. Okay, everybody stand up, hold your hands out, do all that, you know, but meaningful. Not just brain gym for the sake of brain gym and things like that. Meaningful activities that you can integrate in your planning. You guess what? You know, the first thing that will happen is the teacher will have a better time. Mm. They won't be firefighting. And so uh, absolutely more of what works, less of what doesn't. And look, but the difficulty is for that teacher is um, they're at the eye of the storm in the hurricane. For me, the reason it's easy is I come in from the outside. I, I've got no emotion attached to this. There is no, you know, it, it, yes, it matters to me that this works, you know, but I don't have an emotional attachment. So I can sit yeah. there completely detached and go, well, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do that. You should do this, do this and tell them and um and and they've never seen it and so it's not because they're they're not good practitioners it's because they just haven't had that outside help and that's where my consultancy work comes in you know but mm. it is yeah so why don't you do it you could do it yourself you know you can get your colleagues to come in and just literally give them that brief what am i doing that's working what am i doing that's not working yeah it's like you've really really got to kind of break that down as well just yeah. thinking about what you said about um giving children things to to fiddle with if that's what they need um and and you know what it's not just children um with adhd or any other needs like you say because i am always fiddling with something right now i am yeah you can't see (laughs) yeah it's it's my coat i really like the lining Mm. um but the thing is um you mentioned that you know that child throws it you take it away do you think because often sometimes I wonder this in, in schools, do you think we're afraid or not willing to experiment enough? Like instead of thinking, okay, right, well, let's put a different object in there. Or or is it more of a fear of, well, we don't have time to experiment all, all those different ways because what will the leadership think? Or? Well, it's got to be leadership down, hasn't it? It, it? To me, I mean, if the leadership aren't on board, then you're in trouble, really. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, <clears throat> And that does happen. That does happen. I think um, I'm, I'm vice chair of governors in two Lincoln schools and they're, they're connected. They're part of the same multi-academy trust and their school slogan is a safe place to make mistakes. And I think, you know, that that is wise, wise words beyond anything. You know, I mean, because and, and that applies to the teachers as well. Try something, yeah. try something. Have a go. And I, again, um, 
you know, I did several observations in a secondary pupil referral unit in London Hackney. And you know, this was a, it was a beautiful environment, but it was a challenging environment, you know, it really was. It was a, you know, a, an area that got lots of social deprivation, lots of crime. And, but, but I think I did three full days there over a month. Mm. And the head teacher said to the, said to the school, said to the staff, I want you taking risks based on Andrew's visit. I want you taking risks, doing things differently. It's also about using the right people with the right skills, you know, knowing what you've got and who you've got there, you know, and getting them to bring their magnificent different skills, you know, if, especially in primary schools. If you've got a primary school teacher who's an art specialist, yeah, get them to come in and see your art lesson. You know, use use that learning walks, all that sort of thing. But the key is, I'll go back to it again: more of what works, less of what doesn't. You can put that to anything in you, anything in your life, absolutely anything you want, any kind of counselling, any kind of thing you want to achieve. More of what works, less of what doesn't. And of course, that really links into not asking people to do things that they will never be able to do, or not to any great extent. Yeah. Thinking about those attention spans is important. How long can they sit? I, I kind of, when I deliver training, I call it the 11 minute rule. I assume every adult in the room has got ADHD. And so 11, every 11 minutes, I'll tell them something. I'll give them an anecdote. I'll show them something. I'll get my toys out. I've got a lot of toys, a lot, a lot of toys. I want to come to one of your sessions. <laughs> I probably really uh, like it. Well, we got, we're not doing many at the moment. The way, the, um, the way COVID-19 is working how i interpret it is i'm allowed to do my consultations mm -hmm. specialist education professional i come under but i don't think training sort of sits in there but when i'm back by golly i'll be back you try stopping me are you doing anything online then so what are you actually yeah. doing at the moment right okay so at the moment well are we calling both lockdowns the same thing because it seems like i only had a few weeks off and we were back again to be fair, I'm in Halifax, so I think we probably had two weeks where we weren't technically in any form of lockdown. So, yeah, it's yeah. one long thing to I me. Went, I went to Tesco in Halifax. It was very peaceful. Good, I'm glad. In August was that in August that two weeks when you were in one of your tears or something, weren't you? Yeah, well, we went into the tears just before my birthday, so that must have been end of July or something. Right. Um. Yeah. We because. We thought we wouldn't be able to go on holiday, but thankfully we could. So not not abroad or anything, but yeah, I went I went camping <sighs> up on the top of that hill at Hebden Bridge there. Didn't oh, see all right, yeah. Is that, is that where they've got the the pretend beach? Couldn't tell you. Got a lot of sheep. Right. Let's talk about lockdown. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so lockdown number one, and massive, massive um, shock to all of us. I'd been in yeah. Ireland delivering some training in Dublin on. Sunday the 15th, came back uh, on Monday the 16th and I was told I had to go back that night and the rumour was that the, the Irish police were going to be on, the Irish army were going to be on the streets of Dublin on the, on the Tuesday. Well, so I zipped off home on the Monday night on the aeroplane and then I literally, within a couple of days, I, I needed to make big changes to how I deliver things um, because obviously my passion is training and so um, I got my oldest son, Isaac, if you're out there, son, thank you very much. You know, I appreciate what you did. 
and still do. And we set up a studio and we filmed 37 online wow. workshops. That's um, amazing. Yeah, we did it. It took about a month. It took about a month. And then we had a new website go up with these workshops, uh, which is uh, andrewwhitehouse.co.uk, keep it simple, where people could go on and they could just buy what they wanted. Okay. Mm. Um, and they, they just click on the buy, buy a module. And then we had, it's a bit, it's a bit like Amazon Prime. You could buy box sets. You could buy five volumes of yeah. hugely cheap compared to, you know, compared to going into delivering them. A couple of hours twilight is 350 pounds. You could buy an hour for 50 pounds or five hours for 200 and something 220 pounds so it's really get it out there and you, they could keep those they yeah could keep those. so we got those out there that was really exciting and that that was a big game changer because that was the that was the um adapting of what we were doing i was also yeah. work for a parent support group called pact p-a-a-c-t anyone wants to get in touch with me about pact we're um, we're currently a nationwide organization parent support group please get in touch with me It'd be really important um uh i i was very keen we used to do uh once a month on a friday morning little church hall used to do a workshop and it was a kind of networking workshop and um so i would run a course on say using visuals in autism or using colors with dyslexia and do a couple of hours but the really crucial bit was getting people to talk to each other so somebody a parent would come to me and they would say Andrew, I'm thinking of homeschooling my child. Have you got any advice? I say, no, but you see that person over there, she's been homeschooling for two years. Yeah, yeah. Meet each other, meet each other. So that was really important. That went, obviously. So on a Friday morning, um, I, in fact, I got this thing going, it was hashtag get involved, hashtag get involved. On a Friday morning, I would sit in my house and I would just go on Instagram live and uh, say, right, let's talk about, Today we talk about PDA, pathological demand avoidance, or let's talk about dyscalculia. And we would have this lovely, they were beautiful. I loved them so much. So we did that. That was through the first lockdown. The other thing I did, part of the Get Involved project was I would interview other people, a bit like you are with me. Did it again on Instagram Live. And so uh, my, my colleague who is the aspirational speaker, Paul, I'd get him, I'd interview him for an hour. Or I got my colleague Alexis Powell Howard, who's the best psychotherapist in the world, and um, you know I think, and I would interview Alexis, and we were laughing so much; it was great, and people really loved it. We've got a um, clinical psychologist, Peter Ludlow. He came on and did an hour, and just anyone, anyone I could think of, you know, I'd mm. ring him up and say, "Right, come on, get involved." Hashtag get involved. So we did yeah. all that. Um, and then in the eve, and, and of course, I'm, I'm being a vice chair of governors got, and doing what I do in the day job, I was being called in a lot on the governing work. And then with the spare time, I was helping my son. If you had any spare time. Yeah. Well, you've got to be busy. Yeah. And I've got my son, Isaac, and I, um, mostly him, uh, we, um, he, he was 3D printing PPA, uh, PPA respiratory masks. For health healthcare professionals, mm -hmm. and so I was kind of helping him with that more tea and sympathy, really, because Isaac um, Isaac gets quite agitated when things go wrong and three D printers go wrong all the time, mm. and so you know I was there, kind of just like 
mopping up the blood, if you like. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was lockdown, lockdown number one. And and so that that was that kept me kept me on an even keel because again, it's an ADHD thing. You've got to be busy. People with ADHD like to be busy. I do. And um, then come second lockdown, still got all these videos and uh, that, that I'd made. And I thought, what are we going to do with these? Oh no, before that, before that. So book, right, book. I'm going, people in my job have always got a book out, right? Mm -hmm. They've always got a book. And people are going, why have you not got a book out? Well, what have you written? Where's your book? I said, I haven't got a book. Why have you not got a book? I couldn't think why I'd not got a book. I had no reason. So I thought, you know what? I have to write a book. What should I write it about? And then it came to me. I'm going to write a book about my experience with ADHD, mm -hmm. but I'm going to do it the ADHD way. So I'm going to write it in four weeks. Right? And I'm going to set myself this challenge to write a book in four weeks because ADHD people do things quickly. Have you noticed yeah. how I talk fast? Mm -hmm. I type fast too. And so um, I type one-handed actually, which is really weird, but I'm like a little sort of spider going across the keyboard. And so we're going to do it in four weeks. I'm not going to have any chapters and I'm going to use my language. So I'm going to use my colloquial language. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to put any airs and graces. I'm going to tell you what it's like having ADHD. I'm going to tell you my family history. And whatever I've written between the 7th of September and the 7th of October, that's what's going out. No anything else. So that's sitting with the editor now. The book's called, are you ready for it? Mm -hmm. It's called Andrew and the Great Glass Give a shit Ometer. Because um, the idea is that everyone's fitted with a give a shit ometer. And if you access people's give a shit ometers, you'll get a better result. So, you know, when you asked about what can teachers do? Mm. One. Find out what they give a shit about, what they're interested in, what children are interested in, what are their special interests. If they like trains, let's talk trains. How happy was that guy when he got to talk about Doctor Who with me? Yeah. It's obvious, right? So that's the book. Whether that it's with an editor at the moment, whether that will get past the publishers, who knows? You know, whether anyone will publish it. I've got high hopes for Jessica Kingsley's. So that was that. So we did that. That wasn't quite into lockdown literally just finished it just got it off to the uh, to the editor and then um i've got these videos still hanging around you know and i thought how can we get them out to for mostly private use so if you think of andrewwhitehouse.co.uk as being the gold standard you can have what you want when you want video on demand mm -hmm. what i did was i set up a subscription service that anyone could afford and so what, what the idea was that I will put out a minimum of one workshop a month, the workshop of my choosing. So we've got two out there at the moment. I've only just... So it's Netflix, basically, isn't it? No. The, the other one was Netflix. But more like Amazon Prime. You've got to pay for them. But Yeah, but if this is a subscription, you pay every month and then you can see the, the latest things. Only one thing per month. All oh, right, okay. But yeah. you get all the previous ones. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you joined in a year's time, you get twelve months worth, if you like, you know. Yeah. Um, but the idea is, you get that, and then you get, you know, when this is done, this when I get a link to this, this will probably go up there as well. Little things that I can share with people. But the important bit, you know, any YouTube videos I make, anything like that, 
but the important bit is that monthly workshop and um but you but you get what i put up yeah mm -hmm. you get them all i've got 37 i've got three years worth you know mm -hmm. you'll get them all eventually and so i put the volume one of the autism up and the volume one of the adhd in the first just to get say right well, you've got two to start you off mm -hmm. um, um, and then it's the kind of it's the easy way of doing things but the lovely thing about that is it's 25 pounds a month subscription mm -hmm. and that is to anyone anyone who's got the password and the login can access it so if you've got a school you know mm. coffers are a bit light and you just think we just want to we want to deliver a staff meeting once a month with this online workshop this video workshop then you know we can we can do that and um that's proved to be quite popular actually and again it's for me i feel like i'm doing what i'm supposed to do which is getting the training to people yeah getting the training to people at a reasonable price but i've just put i've just been putting something together about that today actually and say and the stuff on there claire you know fetal alcohol syndrome attachment disorder pathological there's five volumes of pathological demand avoidance going to go up there yeah you know and um it's just you know, doing it in a different way isn't it as well you know we need we, we need to change and adapt which is what you've done absolutely and it's cheap that's the big thing and i've put a thing up today saying um you know because I, I i'm one of these i'm like um i keep a file next to the bed you know notepad and i had this idea in the night i thought there'd been something on instagram which i'd shared which said basically don't blow your money in amazon this christmas support your small businesses and i thought yeah this is big yeah and i thought how can they support this small business because we are you know it's i'm not as bad as others but i'm struggling and mm. uh, or the potential to be struggling well i thought what a great gift if you've got a child who is a trainee teacher or a newly qualified teacher to say here you go son daughter uh, i've paid this subscription for you and once a month you can watch a workshop that's going to help you in your career that's brilliant isn't it really yeah. good so i thought that i mean i would buy that you know my my oldest daughter she's just qualified as a she's just been accepted to um norland in bath to be a norland nanny you know those um mm, those yeah. nannies those really kind of like the silver cross pram she's just royal thought, ones yeah yeah she's you know so proud but you know fantastic what a thing eh they yeah. don't teach the magic unfortunately <laughs> they teach no they have to come up without themselves yeah but they do get to learn push chair self-defense and oh yeah i've heard yeah skid pan driving escaping the paparazzi and all that stuff but but anyway you know if there was something like that for my daughter i would buy that in a heartbeat wouldn't you mm. you know so that's that that's how that if anyone wants to look at that it's again dead easy patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com and then there's a little search box put in andrew whitehouse and bob's your uncle fanny's your aunt there's me yeah okay so if you could wave a magic wand, yeah. how would you solve the life-work balance problem for teachers? Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? It mm -hmm. really is a hard one. The head teachers that I work with in um, the two schools that I work in as a vice chair um, are both very hot on their staff's work-life balance. But it's good. It's fantastic, but it, you can't control people. I, you know, no. people just still will do it. I will. I remember working with a lady who was a senko when I was a teacher, 
and she said, you know, I've been up till two o'clock this morning writing behaviour policies. And I remember thinking, I'd rather you'd done nothing and had a good night's sleep. Yeah. You know, uh, work-life balance for me personally, um, particularly being a, a company director, so they're essentially working for myself, I could be working night, day, middle of the night, weekends, and I flatly just don't. I just don't. Nothing is that important. Yeah. Nine o'clock on a Friday night, I stop. Stop quite late on a Friday night. Um, yeah, it's when I've picked up my daughter from her ballet class. So kind of everything's a bit disjointed. Mm. Uh, so so it kind of fits. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't get anything else done. No, so. I completely agree. I Obviously, I'm in the same situation as you. And, and I get up at five to do some work bef before the children get up. But it works for me. But then you yeah. won't really find me working after three o'clock. Yeah, because you've got yeah. pickups and all those things to do and stuff like that. So yeah. I think you've got to be strict with yourself. You know, it's like that thing about deadlines, isn't it? Uh, I love the noise they make when they go whistling past. Who said that? I can't remember. But I love deadlines. I love the noise they make when they go whistling past. Mm. And I've missed deadlines, you know. But really, not massively. A couple of days here and a couple of days there. And nobody's really... You know which are the important ones, don't you, Claire? Yeah, I think you do. You know, you know which ones are important. You know, so I had a call last week and somebody said this report, which was actually within its time. Andrew, can you make sure we can have it on time because we want to submit the EHCP? So I've, I did an observation for EHCP, um, for EHCP support, and I do a lot of those. And, um, and they said, because we want to put it in on Friday. I said, yeah, absolutely, you know. And so it's using your common sense. What I would also say is if you get your inclusion right, you'll work less, you'll work smarter, you know. I've always said to people, if you're working in autism, working ADHD, any of those things, and you, you work smartly towards autism, ADHD, and things like that, God, you'll find your workload reduces. Mm. You might have an initial flurry of making resources or working out how to plan things differently, but the workload will reduce, you know. But the honesty is teachers work really hard. Teachers work really hard. Head teachers work really hard. Um, I personally also, I was a, a NASUWT regional caseworker back in the day, 100 years ago. And um, one of the things that was really frowned on was the weekend email. You know? And um, I personally, I, if, I write, if I write an email at the weekend to a, to a to somebody, which I don't tend to, I will put it on a delayed send till eight o'clock Monday morning, you know, or nine o'clock, depending who they are. You know, if it's a head teacher, I know they're in their office at eight o'clock on a Monday morning. If it's a teacher, I really would probably hold back till nine o'clock, you know. Um, and so have that delayed send. I wish people would do more of that. I wish people would do more of that. And the other thing that used to come up was that the Friday night email. Um, there's been a serious issue. I'd like to discuss it with you on Monday morning. Well, you've just completely compared that person's weekend, haven't you? Yeah, it depends what it is. Like you say, you don't want to be sending something to spoil their um, to spoil uh, the weekend, do you? 
No, absolutely. And if you're going to speak to them, just wait. Speak to them on Monday morning. You know, instead mm-hmm. of sending someone into a blind panic. So I think it's something that you have to have support with. You know, you have to have support. And I mean, but then I do remember I worked for a head teacher back in the day. And he said to me, Andrew, he said, if you see a piece of paperwork that you can't see the point of or something like just don't do it. Anyway, not long after they fired him. So, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe yeah. not the best advice. Yeah, it is difficult. Um I often think about that whole, you know, don't send an email. And and it's it, it's a quandary, really, because if you've got that on your mind and then you're going to stress about it all weekend by not being able to offload it, I think the receiver also has to take responsibility. And and perhaps that should be, you know, you, I turn off all the notifications on my phone for email and Teams and everything. And I, and I, I also recognise that I have a responsibility in that. If I've checked it, that's, I checked it. Do you see what I mean? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can get, you know, I, I, one of the things I've done, I, I mean, it's different because we're company directors, right? So that's a different thing again, mm. you know, but, and and so I kind of want to know about emails coming in. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I do check a lot, but still I've turned off the notifications. But those, yeah, but those people on salary, yeah, and that's a sensible thing to do. Say, right, okay, you know, those people on salary, I don't think they should. I don't think they should. I don't. I think they work hard enough in the week. Enjoy your kids if you've got kids, you know. And, mm. You know, and enjoy your grandkids or whatever, you know. That's, I, I think, that's what I think, you know. I mean, yeah. I've, I've got certain things that I won't do, you know. So I won't check my emails just before I go and get in the bath, you know. Because your bath's nice, right? You want to relax, you know. You bubbles, put the radio on. It's kind of nice, and yeah. So that's little things. I'm, that's just came to my mind because I did that last night. I thought I would check my emails. No, don't do it. Have your bath, check them when you get out. Well, yeah. Otherwise, you, your mind's all going to be around yeah. that and thinking those things through. You, yeah. You've got to give yourself headspace, haven't you? Um, yeah. Okay. So, where do you think education's going in the next ten years? Uh, where do I think education's going in the next ten years? That's a good question. Gosh. So. Um, I don't really know the world of education as as such. So I often have to ask questions about education, about curriculum and things like that, because I am purely a special education professional. Um, And even then, you know, my paperwork knowledge is limited to EHCs, EHCPs, rather, um, the Equality Act, the SEM Code of Practice, things like that. There have been some real game changers when it comes, and Ofsted, of course, when it comes to policy. So I had the absolute joy to speak at two Ofsted conferences before lockdown, prior to lockdown. And as you probably know, the new Ofsted framework is very, very much based around the needs of the child. And so, you know, and the idea being is, I mean, one of my kids, he's a drummer. He's a good drummer. Um but he's not really what you'd call an academic, yeah? Well, for him, the new framework would follow his path, you know, and say, right, you can, you know, you can, we're going to follow your drumming path. We're going to get you doing things around that. I think that's not only sensible for children's well-being and for um, and, and for, for self-esteem and for meeting those kind of needs. From a society's point of view, it's it's important for that, you know. We we 
you know, drummers contribute to the contribute to the economy. You know, we've got stuff going on now where there was that that ridiculous advert about the ballet dancer learning to do what? Was she going to be a bricklayer or something? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, actually, ballet dancers pay their pay their taxes and contribute to society. And where would we be without the ballet? You know, we'd be really depressed and miserable. You know, if ballet's your thing, you know, and so. I think we really need to consider following people's journeys and that Ofsted is one step towards that. Um, the, other, um, the other big game changers were um, in the SEN code of practice, which basically said SEND code of practice from zero to 25, that we were talking about children who may have special educational needs instead of do have. So what we're saying is you don't need a diagnosis. What you need is the is the ability to identify people's different needs and work towards that. That's mm. hugely important. That's, but it has, its, it has its negative sides as well. I mean, so now I've got children with the HCPs, without the HCPs, possibly rather, who are getting one-to-one teaching assistance that the schools are having to pay for. So maybe it was an underhand and it was a sneaky way of getting, saving money. Usually it is with the government, whoever it is, Labour or yeah. Conservative, isn't it? But you know, um, so that was that. Um, <clears throat> that was my that was my concern on that. But what it does allow me to go is to go into school and say, actually, you have to do this. You have to do this. You've got a child that's writing backwards. Then you have to work on strategies to write them forwards because they are presenting with what may be a form of dyslexia. Mm. And so there's that. And then the other thing, which was. Back in, you know, during a war, I'd need, back in my day, the, um, you know, all the difficult kids used to send out with a teaching assistant to another room, call it a nurture group, and that was them out of the way. Thank you very much. Let's do, do the easy ones. Yeah. That was a long time ago. But, but, um, but now, you know, it's very clear the teacher is responsible. That's what the paperwork says. That's what the government guidance says. You know, so that's taking ownership, you know, so um, and that's always that's a positive thing as well. So when it goes right, the teacher's responsible. When it goes wrong, the teacher's responsible. So it's getting teachers to think on that inclusion level, which I think most do. I think most do. But it's just to give them that extra uh, that extra bit of stimulus. And actually, when you were asking about taking risk, yeah, I'm ju- it's only just occurred to me now. That is a circular journey that actually they have a legal obligation to take those risks. Mm. That's a thought, isn't it? Mm. And so that, so I think we've got a more inclusive thing coming forward. What I would say is even now people aren't aware of this stuff. People aren't aware. People in schools don't know that they've got to do this stuff, you know, and it's down to training as well. I, I, we've talked on the podcast before how, I mean, I obviously I did um, a secondary PGC, so I don't think, um, you know, it, it probably had as much, but I think we had a, a really short session on anything to do with any additional needs at all. Yeah. And so it is important that schools are taking the ownership for the training um, because, because then we're not getting it in PGCs, are we? Well, and things change as well. It's important. You know, sometimes I think we think, oh, we do our PGC and then and then how do we actually keep up to date with things? Well, you see, and I'm not trying to flog a dead horse here, 
but you can you can go on to andrewwhitehouse.co.uk and you can download 37 massively diverse films for less than two thousand pounds that's massive which obviously is for a school to pay for not (laughs) Not an individual not an individual no but well we're talking about schools taking ownership and Mm. schools have they've rang me up and said if i give you my card details can you just sort it out for me andrew Mm. you know you'll have everything you know brilliant absolutely brilliant and then but then you know the, the 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 subscription service I, I, I absolutely, you know, uh, it's it, it, £25 a month to get the staff in and saying, right, we're going to do an hour on dyscalculia today. Guess what the new video is? Dyscalculia just landed in my inbox this morning and we're going to learn about it for an hour tonight at staff meeting. It's, it's easy. It's easy mm-hmm. and it's cheap, you know. And believe me, for, for 37 videos, for that, so that's on Patreon, you know, the one a month thing. But if you wanted all 37, if you like, from andrewwhitehouse.co.uk, that's it's easy, isn't it? It's really mm. easy. And then people will come out with ideas. I mean, I always say, if I go on a training course, if I pick up three ideas, three things I could, I've had a good day, yeah? That's yeah. a really good day. Three things that's going to change my practice. Mm. Just to change the subject then, then, who was your favourite teacher at school and why? Ah, uh, <clears throat> oh, right, Okay. <laughs> yeah can I have three go on so there was when I was little there was Miss Hunt yeah and she was at Glenfall School Miss Hunt would be somebody's grandmother now wouldn't she yeah bless her I loved you Miss Hunt uh but um hope you're listening I... sorry hope you're listening hope you're listening Miss Hunt I really did love you um but that's because she smelled nice <laughs> okay because when, when you're little that's the thing isn't it you know, and um, she, I, I could still smell her how, how many hair it probably was in the 70s. And then um, at, at secondary school, uh, my tutor was a lady called Mrs. Jeff Kurt. She was my form tutor. And um, I just always felt I could go and tell her stuff. Yeah. She was quite strict and quite stern. She'll be somebody's great grandmother now. And, uh, but she was, you could always go and speak to her and tell her stuff. And she was actually quite, quite a nice person, really, that I really enjoyed. And then there was this crazy guy who will definitely be dead. And probably his grandchildren are dead now because he was really old. And his name was Mr. Taylor. And he was an RE teacher. Yeah. And the reason I liked him, he had, there was no curriculum back then. And he had these, um, slides overhead projection slides of the shroud of turin mm. and for years that's all he did was get these slides out every lesson and talk about how amazing it was we had this imprint of jesus on this thing you know and i believe i think they, they, they say they're fake now don't they and, and i'm not a christian i just loved it this guy was so nuts <laughs> loved it he was just so nuts and I really enjoyed it. I'd look forward to his lessons, you know. And I didn't, I wasn't one of those kids who give him a hard time or anything. I just sat there going, here we go. The crazy person's on. And I love it. And, I, <laughs> and so, you know, um, so, yeah. So I didn't really have any inspirational teachers. I didn't have any inspirational teachers. But, you know, I went to a pretty rough school and it was a tough time. And then I played truant a lot and, you know, and if I could get out for a smoke, I would. And, you know, it was kind of just different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're kind of getting through school was, you know, 
if the punks didn't get you, then the rockers would get you. And if the rockers didn't get you, you know, the skinheads would get you. It was all a bit scary back in the 70s. (laughs) It was all a bit. But what was funny was I did a course 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago in Chowton on autism. And there's this fellow, old guy sitting there. I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, gosh, I know you from somewhere. Where do I know you from? And he said, um, he said, he, 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 I didn't ask him, and he just looked up and he went, I remember you, Whitehouse. He'd been my history teacher when I was a pupil. And he'd grown into a much nicer, older person. <laughs> he was great fun. And he was learning about autism, you know, at whatever age he was. He's quite an old guy. And I thought, that's great. He's still doing his CPD and all of that. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, so it was good. But yeah, I remember you, Whitehouse. And he was still scary. Yeah, oh, they always are. Came um, when I was at school. Yeah, well, thankfully I didn't. <laughs> no, they go, come on, Whitehouse, come in the room and I'll beat you to death. Okay, <laughs> lovely, just what you needed. And um, finally, um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Elvis. <laughs> I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to be a rock star, and. Um, and, um, and 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 actually, um, I got that from watching Elvis movies and uh, Beatles movies. And I, I'd watch these Elvis movies and Beatles movies, and I'd like, wow. Um, and so um, I did actually. I learned to play bass and sang, and I did actually put a band together. And I played in them, played in this band for a few years when I was young, and we actually. Uh, we got approached by Frankie Goes to Hollywood's record label for a three single and an album deal, but it never worked. It never happened in the end. But I figured, yeah, yeah did that. Okay, move on. But Do you not feel that, like you missed your calling then? Um, no. Um, I still pick up the bass and play it every now and again, but no, that's what I wanted to do. But there is, there is good reason behind that, actually, because um, the keyboard player, I was at his wedding, and um, and he said, oh, this is, he was at the bar with two girls. And he said, this is Andrew. He said, I used to play in a band with him. And he said, he was the bass player and the singer. And he wasn't much of a bass player. And he wasn't much of a singer either. But he was really <laughs> good at getting the crowd going. He said, he was the best front man I've ever worked with. And I remember being really upset by him saying this stuff. But he'd been drinking, so I kind of let it go a bit, you know. And, um, and it's his wedding day. <laughs> and so I thought about that. And I thought about it recently. And it's, again, with ADHD and autism and any neurological diversity, the most important thing is to find your groove. So I was this apparently very good front man in a band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what am I doing now? Delivering conferences, getting people engaged, delivering workshops. Yeah. I'm just the front man in a workshop. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's a hugely important thing, Claire, is to get people, young people, doing what they're good at that fulfills them, but helping them find that out. Because there was a massive gap before I found out actually delivering training, which I love, which I adore doing, Yeah, mm-hmm. was, you know, I, I'm so happy in my work that that was, that, that was me finding my groove. That was my thing, you know, and so 
hugely, hugely important. And if we can facilitate that with children, that's the best thing we could, the best gift we can give them. It's interesting you say that actually, because um, my background's actually in performing arts before I went into teaching. Um, I mean, I liked doing all, everything, you know, all the arts, um, but I particularly liked directing and writing the script and um, having everyone follow it, which is yeah. kind of what I do now. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that, isn't it? And I, it's funny because I look back at front men in bands that were really, really good and couldn't sing or couldn't play and stuff like that. You know, there's loads of them. And then, you know, Lou Reed, Roger Waters, Ian Jory, you know, and all these people that you go, actually, but what would it have been without them? You know, so, so yeah, and that, and again, and that's what the training is. It's, you know, it's having that ability to get the crowd going, have a good time, feel like they want to come again, you know. Um, yeah. It's it's hugely important. What would Elvis have done? Only Elvis could tell us. <laughs> I know, I know. I've got that hanging up. I've got that hanging up in my house. I've got a sign that says, what would Elvis do? Yeah. Well, he'd give you a good time, wouldn't he? He would, he would. Um, well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast. We've, we've talked about so much, um, but I, I think, you know, what we've talked about is really, really going to help teachers. I think it's important that we just, we get back to that mindset of we can test things. We can test things and if one thing doesn't work, it's okay to test it again and, yeah. keep, and keep experimenting yeah. and trying things out. And I think, you know, for me, that's, that's one of the main things um, that I've drawn out of this conversation. And I just hope that, that teachers can, can feel safe um, to do that as well, because ultimately it's about helping all children in yeah, the class. It is. it is. And actually, you know, when, whenever you feel you've tried everything, because that's one I've heard, we've tried everything, you haven't. Mm. There's always something. Yeah, always something new to try. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Claire. It's been an absolute joy and a pleasure. Anytime, every week, okay. if you like. Right, I'll, I'll get that in my calendar. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope that you will go into the rest of this week with confidence to test out ideas, experiment with strategies, and always be doing more of what works and stop doing what doesn't work. Sometimes our strategies just need a little tweak to move from doesn't work to does work, so keep that in mind too. Don't forget to visit kids.classroomsecrets.co.uk forward slash Christmas 2020 to access hundreds of free online games and activities before Christmas. You'll find everything that Andrew and I talked about in the show notes. You can follow me on Twitter at Claire underscore Riley underscore TP, on Instagram, The Teachers Podcast, on Facebook, The Teachers Podcast, or also on Facebook, Join me in the Teachers Podcast community. I also really appreciate reviews of the podcast. Hope you have a wonderful Christmas break and I'll see you next year in 2020. And let's hope it's a lot better than this one. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.